listening to The Sacristy, a podcast where we seek to learn, discuss, and exult in the faith delivered once for all to the saints, as it has been passed down in the Anglican tradition. I'm Father Matthew Ainsley, prospective vicar of All Souls Episcopal Church, a church plant in Horizon West, Florida, which will, Lord willing, begin to have services this fall. And I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Father David Bumstead, the rector of Emmanuel Episcopal Church in the Audubon Park neighborhood in Orlando, Florida. Service times. We're real priests. You sound yeah. so excited real right churches. now. Man, we were just laughing a minute ago. It's great. Uh, so uh, we are real priests with real churches. We have real jobs. And uh, you can find our, uh, our service times in our bio uh, so that you can join us for worship if you're in town with us. This is it. This is the first full-length episode. We do have a preview episode, episode zero, which you can find yeah. on SoundCloud right now and hopefully soon on iTunes. Where That's we're right. So waiting we're for approval. Waiting for approval, so email Tim Cook. <laughs> I've been calling him all day <laughs> on my rotary dial phone. But this is it, man. This is season one. Episode one. This is the beginning. There it is. And we're going to be talking about today, I love this title. Yeah. You crafted, I think. We'll give you credit for that. That's fine. We're talking about the weirdness of liturgy and, and believe it or not, its evangelistic, evangelistic edge. edge. Right. Yeah. So that's what we're going to be talking about in just a little bit. Before we get to that, we're going to start uh, each episode uh, with, I don't know, what we're going to call a little bit of warm up. Um, and this week, we're going to have a segment that I'm excited about. This one is called the Pop Culture Confession. And we're actually, this is like a joint confession. Joint confession, big time, for sure. Because in the future, we'll probably disagree about, you know. Yeah. We're, we're in agreement today. We're pretty close, uh, In right? agreement today, for sure. All right. And that is that both of us are big fans of Taylor Swift's uh, 2014 record, 1989. Or as I like to call her, Tay-Tay. Tay-Tay. And actually, this is funny. Uh, well, it's not really funny. It, it, it's kind of funny. But Rebecca, my wife, we were, we were driving home uh, one day, and uh, she says that a co-worker uh, says, you know, Becca, I bet I know what kind of music you listen to. And she goes, oh, really? And she says, uh, yeah, I, I know for a fact you listen to Taylor Swift, which, of course, is wrong. Becca does not really listen to Taylor Swift. <laughs> and, uh, and so... Becca threw her dear husband under the bus and said, well, actually, point of fact, my husband really likes Taylor Swift. And that's where she left it. But I would say I like Taylor Swift with the caveat that I really only like 1989. And I love it. Like, it's not, it's an unreserved affection for that record. I like it. I think it's great. Whereas my loves, maybe the scope is a little bit broader. A little broader, yeah. Yeah, you know, when I was listening to 1989, I'm like, is this girl reading my journal? Because I felt like... <laughs> I feel like, present tense, she knows me better than I know myself, which is a weird thing to say. It is but there it is. It is weird. <laughs> it's bizarre. It's bizarre. But great album. Great album. Um, it's just fun. It's fun to it's run fun. to. It's fun to drive with. You can sing along, top of your, top of your lungs, blank space, great record, great song. Which, by the way, mm -hmm. anyone that knows me that's hearing me talk right now is not surprised at all. Yeah, really, not much of a confession for anybody that knows either one of us. But for those of you who don't know us too well, that might be a little surprising. Uh, but anyways, as we will do every time we meet, uh, we'll go through the calendar coming up for us. And as we prepare this podcast, we're planning through uh, Sunday, August 18th, which is the 10th Sunday after Pentecost. And so let's go ahead and uh, give ourselves over to prayer. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be for us a sacrifice for sin and also an example of a godly life. Give us grace to receive thankfully the fruits of his redeeming work and to follow daily in the blessed steps of his most holy life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Uh, as uh, another thing that we uh, that we're looking forward to as we go on, um, we will look at the church calendar and uh, be mindful of the feast days coming up. Uh, this week in August, uh, August thirteenth, uh, the church will remember Jerry, Jeremy Taylor, who is a bishop and theologian of the seventeenth century, 
uh, considered one of the Caroline Divines and wrote that major devotional work, uh, the, the work of Holy Living and Holy Dying, which is actually two uh, devotional works, uh, but uh, collected into one uh, great manual, uh, worth your time. On August 14th, uh, Jonathan Merrick Daniels is a seminarian and martyr who died in defense of an innocent during the racial turmoil of the 1960s. He's on the Episcopal calendar. And a major feast on August 15th, one of the big ones close to our hearts, uh, St. Mary the Virgin, which uh, is uh, goes without saying, the mother of our Lord, the Theotokos, indeed one of the best days, if not the best day, to say a rosary. Well, Father Matt, what do you think on that? Well, I immediately think of... Uh, my roots again, not disparaging them, but even at Christmas time, you know, people can get nervous. Maybe even some people listening to this get nervous when you start to talk about Mary. And one of the things that I think is so important, one of the things I actually got from the Baptist tradition mm. is that scripture is to be obeyed. I mean, that comes from James, the kinsman of our Lord in his epistle, where he says, be ye doers of the word. And so when we're commanded and exhorted to do all these things in scripture, whether it's kneeling before the Lord, we're going to talk about the liturgy in a minute. You know, Mary has this song, the Magnificat in scripture, yeah. where she says prophetically inspired by the Holy spirit, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. So to honor the Theotokos, the, the God bearer, the, the mother of God, uh, and to see her as an exemplar for all Christians and one in whom we should uh, exalt and be thankful for is a thoroughly biblical thing to do and a feast day that we should celebrate with zeal and passion. Amen. This is why Father <laughs> Matt is my preacher. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Anything uh, you want to add on that? What can I? That was, that was really beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Father Matt. Uh, and so as we look to uh, exalt uh, Our Lady and think about you know obedience unto God, for us, one of the primary ways that happens is in the context of the liturgical observance of the church. And so we return back to that main topic today. Uh, Father Matt, what's that title you like so much again? The Weirdness of Liturgy and Its Evangelistic Edge. Yeah, yeah. You know, we began this conversation and Father Matt uh, said, you know, we don't, we don't just kind of... Um, start the liturgy or become part of the, the observance of the liturgy or walk into a community of faith, start the mass, just because we think these robes that we wear are really sweet. Although they are, uh, they are very sweet and I love them dearly. Um, they're, it is not the, they are not uh, the reason why we come into this. And so uh, before we begin this, there's a couple of things we wanna, we wanna, uh, we wanna uh, talk about in terms of caveats and introduction. It's not because these robes are sweet, but because we have a liturgical way of worship and, and we do what we do, not in this consumeristic way where, oh, this is going to bring out all the people, right? right. Sort of a marketing um, perspective on it. It's because we believe it's the right thing, that it is part and parcel of the faith delivered once for all to the saints, because orthodoxy necessarily includes orthopraxy right and so the ways in which we worship the sacraments uh the rituals of the church that is as much what it means to be a christian as saying the nicene creed right or reading the scriptures we don't divorce what we believe from how we worship and how we pray in fact what we believe especially as anglicans grows out of how we pray. Yeah. Lex orande, lex credendi, credendi, the law of prayer is the law of belief. So that's part of it. But also we make an incredible statement in the mass right before the sanctus. Therefore we praise you, join you with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. We believe that we are not only to mirror, but to join the very worship of right. heaven. And since what we're doing is more than just what we thought up in a staff meeting the yeah. Tuesday before, it's not ours. It doesn't belong to us, and we can't tinker with it. It's God's. It's a, yeah. <laughs> That's right. 
and so uh, that's a that's a different kind of thing than than a lot of uh, than a lot of what we might see in in, in some of the churches. And for me, uh, that difference is compelling. Again, it's not necessarily about a marketing scheme. It's not about a like a pragmatic desire to reach the most souls. It, we believe very strongly, and we're uh, convicted of the idea that this is the right way to do it. This is the right thing. And so, while we uh, uh, seek to be in harmony with our Christian brothers and sisters across tradition. We have definitely, you know, hitched our wagon to the uh, traditional worship of the church. The uh, the otherness of of the Holy Mass, of the traditional uh, observance thereof, I believe that this invites us into something different. And it, it's, it's not just a redress of normal media. Um, you know, so many people kind of walk into our churches um, and look around them and see the beauty of our windows, of our architecture, even uh, many times like just the beauty of like our seating, uh, as, as banal as that sounds, but they, they walk into this new place. There's nothing like it in uh, folks' workaday experience. And that transport, that Walking into a new world is actually intentional, I believe. It's uh, emblematic of worlds colliding, of course. The world of, um, the, as we know it, the, the, the created world, the, the, the good order that God uh, laid down in Genesis, but also the world of heaven, the world to come, the world that we seek to enjoy by our participation in the Mass and in the life of the Church. And so... We just wanted to bring the the uh, the, uh, the caveats of of, uh, of this of this uh, conversation again to summarize. Uh, it's not just a, you know pragmatic programmatic statement, and indeed we believe that this is the right thing to draw people into uh, the holy realm uh, of God's own being and in His place. Yeah, and if God is holy, which He is, yeah. And that means that God is other. Yeah. Then the space in which we worship Him should be befitting of His otherness, His holiness. Yeah. Because it is ethereal. I, I forget exactly how it's phrased, but on the door of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, it says, you know, I think, enter ye the gate to heaven. It's this understanding that heaven and earth come together in the worship of the church. Right. Not just symbolically, like this bare symbol, but actually. Right. And if it's not the latter, then I think we should go find other jobs. That's why we're doing what we're doing, because that yeah, heaven yeah, and earth yeah. are actually coming together. Yeah. And I think I've got a quick story uh, that might actually end up being a good segue. I remember one time I was um, serving at the altar. I was, uh, I was serving as a deacon at a mass, and I was sitting next to uh, one of my servers. It was a young man, 19 years old. And... Um, he, we are praying the praying the, the prayers and and um, he it was during the right around the Sanctus and I just see him kind of look up like really quickly, um, you know that 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 startle of clarity and I, I kind of looked at him and I was like is he sick is he gonna throw <laughs> up is he like is he you know is he gonna faint and uh, I was like are you okay man and he says whoa so angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Like, when we say that we join with them, do we mean it? And I was like, yeah, man. I mean, that's why we say it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and all this is kind of happening during this reverential moment, so you have to forgive me out there listening. But um, in that moment, he was completely transfixed by the idea that this thing is real and happening and, and really kind of uh, making becoming present in that moment of the Sanctus uh, and the Benedictus. And so uh, for, for this young man uh, serving at the altar... And looking up and seeing, you know, a light over the over the, the cross, but in his heart, really seeing uh, and, and really believing that uh, this is um, this joining place of heaven and earth in the divine mass. And so, um, and and so that where we want to go next is is thinking about okay, well, this happened in the story. This happened really for me a few years back, but like this is something that is true of of liturgy. As um, <clears throat> a, a thing to to uh, to teach, you know, uh, the experiential aspects of traditional observance 
of liturgy as a way to um, help people learn, to help uh, experience uh, the, the goodness of God, and to know um, their salvation in Christ. And so, uh, and, and Father Matt was good enough to, to say to us this scripture verse uh, when we were preparing this, uh, when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And so, one of the incredible things about the liturgy, again, we do it because we feel like it's right, and it's what we should do, and it's part and parcel of the faith, uh, but one of the benefits of it is that it engages the whole person, right? and it enables us to love the Lord our God with all our strength, with our bodies. And again, going back to when we're talking about Mary, you know, think about your life growing up and your experience of, of worship and whatever tradition that you're in, and all the commands of, okay, Psalm 95, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, right? That's an exhortation. Right. When do we ever do that? You know, there's a lot of places, when do you ever kneel before the Lord? And so it gives people an opportunity as it engages the senses. We'll talk in a second about the ways in which it does that. But it gives people a concrete, timely opportunity to do what they ought, really yeah. to be who they are and worshiping God with all their strength. Right. Right. And, 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 and the beauty of our buildings, again, the, 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 um, the sound of the music, uh, all of these things, uh, when we enter into our churches, they engage the senses, yeah? And so we get to experience, uh, well, so there's so many valences for how we enjoy uh, the beauty of our churches, but especially during during worship. You know, the beauty in the church can um, inspire us by nature of, of us just being able to see um, in, you know, stained glass window. That's really great. Or perhaps even be able to understand uh, scripture better by looking on this window like our forebears did. Most of us who have ever walked into a, a church building that's, um, you know, older than 30 years will we'll kind of get that, that smell of church, you know, and, and mm -hmm. How many of us, when they walk into their old church from when they, for where they grew up or maybe into an old church that's been around for a long time, how many of us can say, oh, church smell? Mm -hmm. you know, and it's a good smell, right? Like, I mean, sometimes it can be a little bit off-putting, but, yeah. you know, uh, but most of us have experienced that, mm, that church smell. What about, like, touch, Father Matt? Like, what are some things that we, we, we touch in a, in a church that, like, activate the senses? You know, the, the feel of a pew yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the different things we do with our body, you know, ma making the sign of the cross, you know, of course, receiving receiving the sacrament. Indeed, yeah, the taste of, of even the, the blessed body. Uh, again, engaging the language and the, the world of scripture of, you know, First John, his epistle, where he talks about like we... We saw him and we touched him. Right. And in church, in the liturgy, uh, we touch our Lord uh, in the Holy Sacrament. So there's stuff being done with our bodies. And one of the things that I really appreciate is the sound of common prayer, uh, the sound of, of people praying alongside each other and, and, and in response. You know, we're priests, so we lead and preside over the liturgy. And so when that sound of the congregation returning back to God and, and, and you know, back to me as, as, a, as a celebrant um, is one of the most gorgeous sounds um, really in the world. The, the music of, of, you know, the, the everyday life happening in the church, you know, some people get really annoyed, for example, like if a, if a pew creaks a lot or if <laughs> like a, like a kneeler yeah. comes down and yeah, it can be kind of loud, but I really enjoy that sound because to me, that's the emblematic of, of life experience together in the context of liturgy. And if liturgy is about anything, it's about life, right? Absolutely. What about, can you talk a little bit about the liturgy and kids and their <laughs> formation? Because it, it might seem to people that reverent, holy, traditional worship is the last place, yeah, the last place that you kids. would take a kid or that kids would want to be or yeah. that would be good for their formation. 
Yeah, um, I hear that a lot. Uh, and for those of you who will get to know me, um, a lot of what I have done and, and still do as rector, uh, I've been a, a youth director and I've been a priest and youth director. And so, you know, part of my own project is to kind of like express the joy of the liturgy, the joy of the faith to children, not by taking them out of the context of, of worship and traditional worship, especially, but by bringing them into it. And so, um, and Father Matt's got me on the spot too, because I don't actually have children at this point as we record this. And so, uh, and he's talking as one who has, who has two beautiful young children. Um, but I think for me, um, that sense of one, uh, traditional, the tr traditional worship engenders within uh, children a sense of uh, propriety. It's a place where kids can learn manners, um, a place where people, where they can, it's a safe place for them to observe what's happening around them, to see a, a different thing happening than at home or at school or in the shop. Uh, and so to, to kind of take that in and see that, oh, wait, there's a difference here. And it's rude, perhaps, if they can make that moral arrangement. And many of many young, young children can, uh, or at least feel out of place by making too much noise or making, you know, running up and down the, the aisle or whatever. And in my church, we've got plenty of babies crying and, and kids running up and down the aisle. Yeah, my totally kids fine. are up yeah. and down the aisle all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the idea is that we, we want to enjoy that with them. Uh, rather than kind of extricating them out of it. And so the and every little component of traditional worship has, uh, you know, this pedagogical piece, right? I think a touch point for teaching. And so, you know, um, well, you know, if you get your kids in, involved in, in acolyting, for example, you know, it's like, um, you know, one way to do it is just to kind of like, all right, take this cross on a pole and walk up that way and walk back. Done. All right. Thanks. <laughs> that's a possibility um, or you know we could teach them the movements tell them why the movements are important uh, tell them the symbolism behind the way the things that they're doing even down to the special clothes they wear the, the albs the, the cassocks the surplices all those things that, that are involved in like children's worship as they as they're involved in the, the, the worship of the entire people of God and I think uh, the more we can make these things their own so that they can experiment with them, so they can play with them in their minds, and really even that tactile experience, we, we open yet more avenues for the Holy Spirit to do his work, uh, especially because, you know, Jesus really commands us to bring the children to him. Uh, and honestly, aren't they the ones that kind of get it better than anybody else? Um, at least that's my contention, and I think, would you agree? Absolutely, and I think... You know, while it can be at times difficult, right? And, and I always try to encourage Absolutely. myself, my wife, parents with young children in the church, that even if you don't really get much out of the service because your kids are going nuts, right. it's good to have them there because they're going to receive a blessing. Yeah. They might be receiving, they're baptized, receive the sacrament. And it gives them an opportunity to learn all the things that you were talking about and to engage the whole of who they are. And as they grow up, there's never a shortage of opportunities for discussions, for questions that they have of, hey, what was that? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And it's just great to have them in there as messy as it can be yeah. and as loud as it can be. It's the whole people of God yeah. cradle to grave together in worship of their Lord. Uh, even today, I had a meeting, and um, it was with a father and his daughter, and his daughter is one of our um, ace, smaller acolytes, and she was asking about things having to do with the liturgy. How can she improve? How can she help her colleagues to do better? What are some things? You know, and, you know, she's going into fifth grade, you know, and she's, in, she's interested. And so why wouldn't we want to encourage that? And so that's something that I'm particularly excited about. I know Father Matt is particularly excited about. One of the things that, what we might even call low-hanging fruit in the experiential aspects of traditional observance, low-hanging low fruit in, uh, that it's easily observable, uh, but no less poignant and important. Another thing that, uh, that is on our minds about the divine worship, and it is, it's kind of its otherworldly aspect, um, you know, the the experiential aspects have much to do with what we what we observe and what, how we feel. But there's this whole other part of the liturgy that is not about us in, in a lot of ways. 
And like I said, it's uh, the liturgy really is about the heaven and earth coming together, which is in itself a, a fairly countercultural thing to say. It is. I mean, the whole thing is, you know, from where we're sitting and the milieu in which we find ourselves in 21st century America, is we're doing things at church, where are we going to do that anywhere else? Right. You know, if you have an organ, you know, not many places are going to hear an organ. I mean, corporate singing, especially that, you know, is asking uh, men to sing together. Yeah, especially for sure, yeah. Yeah, because we're not in those, you know, it's not like Lord of the Rings where, you know, the fellowship's traveling right, and, yeah. you know, you're hanging out with your dudes and you just kind of break into song. That's not really a thing as much. It is with us. Well, sure. But um, Father Matt and I are known to uh, spontaneously just start randomly singing. Um, that might be a little bit too much of an overshare, but <laughs> your mileage may vary. But that's right. I mean, uh, organ, for example, is just like one of those things that it, it, you just don't hear anymore. Um, you don't have much occasion to hear uh, outside of churches anymore uh, this glorious instrument that actually, in, in its way, kind of hacks our brains and our hearts. Uh, we're, we're, uh, again, with children, going back to that, walking into a place where they see an organ, they yeah. can't help but want to hear it because, one, it's weird, which is kind of what this is all about. <laughs> uh, two, it's loud, and loud is awesome. Uh, and uh, three, they can kind of feel it in their bones. There's something about organ music that we feel in our bones, that in particular. I was thinking earlier when we were uh, pre planning this um, that... The worship of Almighty God is one of the few things in life that is good in itself. It's not meant to sell us anything. It's not meant to make you feel a certain way, although it makes you feel. It's not necessarily meant to, right, Father? It's not meant for really anything other than what it is, which is the worship of Almighty God. And everything else is kind of subsequent after that. Um, you know, so... Yeah, we, it makes us feel good to sing the hymns, but that's not why we sing the hymns. Absolutely. Uh, uh, we, we, we might even feel better, for example, when we hear a good sermon, or we'll feel a certain sense of clarity uh, when we hear a good sermon, but that's not necessarily why we do what we do. Um, it's great that those things happen, and certainly a reason for us to prepare our sermons and to sing well and loudly unto the Lord but Father, uh, you know, begs the question, why? Why would we do any of this stuff? Because we exist to be in union with God. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. And we, we, the central event of the universe is that unceasing worship of the triune God. And so that's what we want to enter into. And church at its best should call us to that. And, you know, back to the whole environment in which we walk into and sort of the the weirdness, but I would call it the awesomeness sure. of liturgical space, is that when you walk in, like, God is holy and he is to be worshipped. It immediately calls you away from yourself, which not many things in our culture call you away from yourself. They usually engender narcissism <laughs> yeah, they kind of, yeah they kind of want to make you to look more closely at yourself uh but this is something that actually calls out our loves right it's meant to call out our love for god and actually perhaps even to uh call out our love for neighbor um as is our, our call from jesus and like father matt says there's not a lot of things that are really seeking to transport our hearts and our minds to heaven you know in our lives uh, aside from you know the the express experience of walking into a church to pray and to worship Almighty God. Well, let's wrap it up talking about, you know, what is the evangelistic edge of liturgy? Because, you know, during, I guess, the zenith of church growth movements, sure, it was all about, you know, knowing your target audience and, and who they are and what they want. And finding a way to do church that draws them in and brings them in. 
and there was always talk of of creativity. We've all we've always got to do something fresh and surprise people. Not saying that any all those impulses are are bad, but I think the irony is in our day and age is when we seek to do something old and ancient instead of running after the novel we're doing something that's utterly unique and different right from what everyone else is doing right so people come in and whoa i've never seen this before because they probably haven't right and it's something that's been around for forever yeah <laughs> if you think about it <laughs> yeah. in, in, in terms of God's dwelling place sure, and his yeah, throne. Yeah, exactly. This has been around forever and will be around forever. Yeah. And so get in on it, right? Right. Yeah, so, you know, when it comes to weirdness of the liturgy, weirdness and evangelism, you know, we kind of think about this as engaging with our culture, right? Uh, and with respect to our brothers and sisters in the megachurches, much love, but it seems like that evangelistic approach seems generally to say to the world, hey, we're just like you, even during Sunday worship, culturally speaking, right? And, and that, I mean, there's, there's some uh, pros to that uh, approach, for sure, uh, but perhaps even some cons as well. And certainly, we speak to you as someone who, or as people who have, uh, who have come from that tradition uh, and have come into a different place. Um, what I think is this approach assumes that people are, this approach of traditional um, observance is that people are people with all the stuff that, that people do and nowadays it assumes that there is a longing in the human heart for something that is not us a longing for something that is uh, beyond us uh, because of some instinct that tells us that there must be more than what we see around us absolutely and it has an evangelistic edge because you know all the reason you should reasons you just mentioned but again the holiness and the reverence and the all it demands something of people yeah and that there's something that's attractive about that of of raising the bar instead of lowering it yeah of as dietrich bonhoeffer said when christ calls you he bids you come and die right and the challenge of it and the bigness of it, right, that immediately speaks of transcendence, draws people in. Because if I just tell people, hey, you know, whatever you are, whatever you're doing, that's great. We're just going to keep doing it here. Well, why are they going to come? I think people darken the doors of churches because they don't want a redress, baptized version of what they already have. They want something different. They want something holy. And I think we have the same thing going for us that Mount Everest does in a way. You know, yeah. we, we have a mountain here <laughs> yeah. in Florida. It's called Mount Dora. And great town. Yeah. It's a, the we know cute, the priest there. He's good. Yeah, the cutest <laughs> little town. Yeah, if you live in Mount Dora, uh, go see uh, Father Laffler. Uh, great Episcopal church there. Best dude. But no one comes from across the world to summit Mount Dora. Because you can summit <laughs> it in about 30 seconds. Yeah. I don't know what the elevation is, but it's not very high. We don't have mountains in Florida. Right. But people will travel from all over the world. They'll risk their lives. They'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to climb Mount Everest. And I'm not saying whether that's a good idea or not. But right. the point remains, the point remains for sure. that because it demands something of them, there's an attractiveness to it. And there's in that a search for transcendence. The, the source of which we actually have in the Church of Jesus Christ. You don't have to go climb to 30,000 feet to find it. And please don't take a selfie up there. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. And use oxygen, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's right. I think uh, liturgy assumes that people are not idiots, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I want you to talk about that because if you... I, I experienced this personally. You know, when I went from being Baptist to I went up to Neshota House, this Anglo-Catholic monastic right. seminary, I was completely lost in what was going on. And that can be intimidating for people. Right. But one thing that... To toot your horn, Father David, one thing that you do really, really well is that you go for it, right? Go for it. You go for it, but you're hospitable and you give visitors an on-ramp. So what do yeah. you do at your parish to sort of 
put people at ease. Because we're not going to come smack your hand with a ruler if you make the sign of the cross wrong. Or if you don't do it at all, we're not going to say, hey, yeah. what are you doing? Where are the manual what, actions, you know? I, I tell you what, if you pull instead of push, I'm coming for you. <laughs> uh, on that sign of the cross. No, um, yeah, well, at Emmanuel, you know, and I'm not going to take credit for this. This is actually something that uh, a good colleague of our, uh, our father, Chris Rodriguez, um, mentioned at one time during a... Um, a clergy gathering, but he said that, uh, you know, he does a, every now and then a liturgical minute. I thought that's a really good idea, you know, especially because, you know, so many Episcopalians, so many Anglicans, they, they've done what they've done forever, and that's awesome, but they're not really sure why they do them. And so there's points of clarity, and then asking newcomers who come in from other different traditions, um, you know, there is a learning curve for sure when it comes to traditional liturgy and traditional observances. Um, but I think what we want to do is create on-ramps, places for people to come on. And so, um, you know, if you look at my bulletin, for example, um, you know, we say, man, if you've never figured that, if you don't know what this is, like this is brand new and you're like off the street, like just relax. Just chill. Just chill. Just chill. Uh, you know, because in and of itself, um, even though it's not meant to be relaxing, it is. It is. It's beautiful. Um, it's, it's as a piece yeah, it's a it's a beautiful piece, and so it is. It, it can be enjoyed at that level, I believe. And so just relax. And and, and I've also taken times and pains uh, to to explain what we're doing. Uh, you know, with things like signs of the cross, things like manual actions, and all this stuff. You know, the sort of the, the grand extended uh, uh, instructed Eucharist, and trying not to make that super boring and like you know and uh, make every point. Um, you know. Uh, belabor every single piece, but also giving uh, uh, a venue for folks to ask questions of what we're doing and why. Um, and so I think of that as a kind of way to think. I think of way to the, a way to think of this as liturgy, as positive indoctrination, a way for people to draw into union with Christ through the prayers, through the sacraments, uh, but also uh, as a way to kind of have clarity about the doctrines of the faith, the habits of the faith, uh, by knowing a little bit about um, what's going on in, in the context of liturgy. And in so doing, what we're, what, like, like what you said, is we're treating people like they have intellects. Uh, that we're not lowering the bar for folks. We're actually challenging them, but we're not leaving them to their own devices. You know, we want to guide people in. You know, one of my favorite images of, of our tradition, you know, with our, with our wonderful prayer book, you know, if you hand a prayer book to someone cold, it's kind of a difficult document to get through. I mean, there's rubrics and there's directions, sure, but, you know, cold, it's kind of like, oh, man, what is this thing, right? Beautiful, right? Yeah. Uh, even uh, even to the uninitiated, there, there's something in there for the Christian heart. But it is somewhat difficult to navigate at first. And yet I think what it assumes is the sense of, of discipleship, two people coming together, one who has a little bit more experience saying, okay, this thing is a little intimidating. I'm going to show you how to use it. Uh, and taking the time uh, to, to walk a newcomer through uh, the use of a Book of Common Prayer, how to use a bulletin, for example. And so it, it, in this case, um, the, the outreach of liturgy is about discipleship, to draw people into this community uh, so that we can all do this together which is, you know, kind of what liturgy means, right? That's right, the work of the people. Yeah, at least that's what it said Mary Hatchet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall we go to the lectionary? Yeah, so uh, as we conclude this point, uh, you know, we, we have also, we've obviously tied our wagon to uh, the observance of traditional liturgy. We think it's weird, but we think it's great, um, and we think it's something that we ought to share with the world for the life of the world uh, and not necessarily draw back and be ashamed of it because we do believe that it has something to give uh, in the grand scheme, especially the blessing of Almighty God uh, and the blessing that we receive in the presence yeah. of the sacrament. Never be ashamed of it. You're out there, you're a priest. Well, be ashamed of it. Just go you, for yeah, it. Yeah, go for it unless you're bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have for Pentecost 10 and the Revised Common Lectionary. These are the readings from track two, because we got multiple tracks uh, in 
ordinary time, the season after Pentecost, the green season, whatever green you want to call the it. The long green season. Very long. Uh, lots of green. We have Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23 through 29. And by the way, we'll post this in the show notes so you can see this and you often remember it or write it down. Psalm 82 is the psalm. Hebrews eleven twenty nine through 12, 2 is the epistle. And then finally, the gospel is Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. And we seek uh, at this part of the show to kind of do a sermon first pass. You know, like I said, we're real priests. We have real jobs in real churches. And so, um, you know, I've barely looked at these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a, so th- this is a, a genuine, genuine first, first pass. pass happening right here on this podcast. Uh, we obviously, see. we've read the, this part of the Bibles before. Uh, but, you know, not not in preparation. So we haven't yet. studied this for like 12 hours before recording. <laughs> we're going to feign profundity and spontaneity in front of you. No, this is, we're doing it cold, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. All right. And, and, and the reason why we're doing that, of course, is to, uh, is to uh, perhaps even help those of, our, uh, those of us who are in the ministry, serving in churches, who are preparing homilies and sermons uh, week after week, just to give some ideas um, you know, I was thinking about this passage from Hebrews just real quickly as I read it like five minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we get this, uh, this kind of list of really horrible things that have happened uh, to uh, the lives in the lives of the holy people of God. And um, the writer of Hebrews, um, you know, gives this fairly exhaustive list of really awful things. Um, stoned to death, sawn in two, uh, killed by the sword, uh, went about in skins of sheep and goat, destitute, persecuted, tormented, uh, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered deserts and mountains and the caves and holes in the ground. Uh, and like he says there, it's commended, the people are commended for their faith. And I think when we get to that, that great line, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, um, the reminder of, of the suffering of the saints, uh, to remember that the trials that the saints have endured, to do what uh, they've been called to do, what we've been called to do, uh, and yet uh, are so blessed because Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, uh, who for the sake, excuse me, who for the sake of the joy was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And I hear that and, and, and read that as such great um, encouragement. Uh, now, granted, I haven't been sawn in two, and I'm not being stabbed by a sword, um, yeah. But there are trials to endure as a Christian. There are trials to endure as, as, as priests. There are trials to endure um, as we walk this life of faith. And we do need a great cloud of witnesses that just get us through mm-hmm. and to rely on each other and to rely on the, uh, the witness of Scripture, the witness of the saints of the church history, so that we can continue to glorify God, uh, the one who sent his son to die on a cross for us. So I've always found, I, I got the easy one. Uh, for those of you listening, I got the easy the one from Hebrews, and Father Matt's got something good, I, I hope, from, uh, from Luke. Before I uh, take a stab at the gospel reading, you know, that first part of Hebrews chapter 12, when I think about the communion of saints, and maybe I'm talking to someone who's sort of suspicious of yeah, the communion yeah, yeah, of yeah. the saints, I immediately go to this passage because it has everything in those first two verses where it's, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses where we look to them uh, as examples. And also you get a sense, which is consistent with the teaching of the church, that the dead in Christ are active in the life of the church, uh, of cheering us on, of praying for us, of longing for the day with us when God will be all in all. But, you know, people get nervous about the saints that, you know, we're going to worship them Right. Or, or venerate them or honor them in lieu of Jesus. And there's the perfect balance because we, we remember the cloud of witnesses. We're encouraged by them. We thank God for them. We're in communion with them. But then we look to Jesus, right, the author and finisher of our faith. Right. And so you have that, and this is getting really deep in the weeds, that <laughs> distinction between dulia, the type of veneration, honor. That's, that's a Greek word for, for worship. But the, the kind that we can give to to men and to saints, that honor, that veneration, but then the latria, that, that worship which is due only God himself, right. we see we're looking to Jesus. 
And so the saints lead us to Christ, not away from him. That's why he's my preacher. All right, this gospel. I'll read just a little bit of it. Luke chapter 12, verses 49 and following. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Oh, boy. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Oh, man. From now on, five and one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. Which happens a lot. Everybody. And and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Yeah, that last part, the in-laws not good. That's that's, uh, not atypical, right? Um, (laughs) I got a good relationship with my in-laws. Me too. If you're listening, Kim, I love you. (laughs) I'm going to get myself in trouble. Love you, Marsha. So, before getting into the text itself, it's passages like this, along with perhaps Jesus clearing out the temple yeah that sort of obliterate the hippie xanaxed jesus you know he's just chilling out he's never hurting anyone's feelings i i have to admit i've never actually heard the word xanax as a verb so i am i am notorious for just making verbs on the fly which i've done brilliant um yeah (laughs) xanax as a verb and so Jesus is is bringing the heat, no pun intended. Eh. And he first, he says, um, you know, I have a baptism with which to be baptized, which, of course, he's talking about his death. Yes. That there is this connection, our baptism, which is connected to his baptism, which prefigures his death at Calvary. Our baptism is a death. It's the end of one life, and it's the beginning of this new life in Christ. And then he says, do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? And I immediately say, well, well yeah. yeah. Isn't that what it, isn't that what it <laughs> says on the yeah. gospel? Yeah. You know, the angels, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. <laughs> That's what I thought you said. I thought it said that. Yeah. Well, we have to look and say, well, what does it mean that Christ brings peace on the one hand, but he brings division on the other? And in bringing peace on earth, it comes at a high cost, ultimately his, his death. Yeah. And we have to say, okay, well, what kind of peace does he bring? Because, you know, and this is way down the road when we get to Christmas, you know, and you'll see peace on earth with Coca-Cola commercials and cute polar bears. And land Do you like screen. those bears? Yeah, yeah Coca-Cola is great. Those bears are great. Those commercials are great. But peace on earth, we, we sort of think of a sort of shallow harmony Whereas Christ is coming to bring us initially this vertical peace. It's peace with God to reconcile us to God the Father, which in the eschaton and in the church means peace with one another. But in that announcement of the gospel and the personal work of Jesus Christ, it scandalizes people. The gospel is a scandal. It's, Paul says, foolishness to those who are perishing. So as Christ is announcing himself and his work, and it looks much differently than what people wanted, because he says, I, instead of we're going to knock the Romans out of right. Jerusalem, he's saying that I've come to die. And for them, that was really incomprehensible. And so it's the different ways in which his own people responded to his ministry and to his announcement that you know as we conclude this section you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm i'm let's conclude it this text is way too difficult yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, i'm reflecting on how uh the 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 difference that of what the kind of peace that christ seeks to bring to his people to the world and how that relates to what we were talking about in the liturgy um, and so that's worthy of our reflection. I'm not going to guide you through it. You're smart. We said that. And our listeners can be uh, mindful and praying on that very, uh, that very concept. So uh, thank you, Father Matt, for that. Uh, as we conclude uh, this week's podcast, um, we uh, think it would be good for us to conclude with one of the church's great 
um, poems, one of the church's great hymns, the church's great prayers, certainly one that rests most dearly on my heart. Uh, so together, uh, if you know it, if you've got a prayer book in front of you, uh, will you join Father Matt and I in saying uh, the Te Deum Laudamus? We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge, acknowledge thee, thee to be, be the Lord. Lord. All, all the, the earth doth worship thee, the Father everlasting. To thee all, all angels cry aloud, the heavens and all the powers therein. To thee cherubim and seraphim continually do cry, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of the majesty of thy glory. The glorious company of the apostles praise thee. The goodly fellowship of the prophets praise thee. The noble army of martyrs praise thee. The holy church throughout all the world doth acknowledge thee. The father of an infinite majesty, thine adorable true and only son. Also the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. Thou art the King of glory, O Christ. Thou art the everlasting Son of the Father. When thou tookest upon thee to deliver men, thou didst humble thyself to be born of a virgin. When thou hast overcome the sharpness of death, thou didst open the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Thou sittest at the right hand of God in the glory of the Father. We believe that thou shalt come to be our judge. We therefore pray thee, help thy servants, whom thou hast redeemed with thy precious blood. Make them to be numbered with thy saints in glory everlasting. Thank you so much for listening uh, to the Sacristy Podcast. Uh, I'm Father David. I'm Father Matt. We pray that you have been edified and blessed by our time together, and we pray that you will have a wonderful and blessed day to come. First episode in the books, man. There it is, man. That's one. All right, we'll see you guys later.